Welcome to Treasure Talks. Today I've got Anthony Agogo, bronze medalist, Olympian, and now wrestler. Great to see you, mate. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, mate. Thanks for having me. So the first thing straight away, as soon as I see you, because I've like followed your boxing career, is the weight that you've got on you now. Like you've you've broadened out. You're much bigger than before. How much you weigh in? Um, at the moment, I'm I'm trying to do it. In, so at the, about 101 kilo at the moment. 101 kilos, um, 222, 23 pounds, and a stone. I think it's about six. About 16 stone, 16, yeah, about around 16 stone mark, um, which is nice. Do you know what? I mean, I've had a few people comment on on in, on, on Twitter, uh, not many, only a couple, saying like, oh, you're on the gear, you're on the steroids. And I'm massively offended by that because uh, you've seen, I've been quite outspoken in the past. I think boxers that, boxers that, like athletes, full stop, that cheat, uh, can I swear on this podcast? Yeah, of course. Ca- carry on. <laughs> fucking disgraceful. I won't swear a yeah. lot, but when I do swear, I mean it. Like disgraceful because you take your, you, you, it's like you're the worst thief in the world because you're not just stealing things you can get back. You're not just stealing like items. Like someone, if someone nicks my phone, yeah, it's gonna piss me off. But guess what? It's all backed up to the cloud. I'll get a new one on the insurance. No big deal. It's an inconvenience. But stealing somebody's dreams and ambitions you can't get that back that's horrible and i feel sorry for these guys that came forth in in 100 meters and then eight years later you know they found out that the russian cheated or the american cheated and now now they get promoted to a bronze medal oh that's not very good they didn't get the chance to stand on the podium they didn't get to come back to their hometown as a, as an olympic medalist they missed out on opening supermarkets for 50 quid here or and stuff like that especially you can't get that back they're bad and also that's just sport in general but in boxing like you're hitting people as hard as you possibly can so it becomes a criminal thing um so i was always very outspoken in that and because of what i've done i, I wouldn't do that people i put a lot of weight on because from 12 years old my first fight was 12 from 12 years old i've been making weight now what teen like at school all my friends would go to the chippy and get and get a chip butty every day at lunch. I couldn't. There's me sitting there with my vegetables, eating eating cold carrots, you know, because I was making weight for my entire life. And then when I retired last year, I could finally just eat. And 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 also I was I was um, I was making weight and all my I, I did very little like, strength and conditioning because I was a big middleweight. I couldn't afford to put any. Like, it was already really hard to make the middleweight limit. I couldn't afford to put any more weight on, so I did very little weights. Um, I was a cardio machine. I was the fastest one. I could run the fuck. I could row. I could swim. Um, and then when I retired, I had to just get a million miles away from boxing because it, it broke my heart. So I've always trained, and I need that discipline to do something. So I started lifting weights. Before I knew I was going to be do the wrestling, and I was lifting and, and eating a lot and lifting, and weight just went woof, and and it's, and, and it's great. And then then I got a bit carried away and got a bit of a derby. I got a bit of fat. <laughs> I just had to get rid of that. Yeah, I was I was thinking because it must be such a huge contrast from the boxing. Obviously, when you're fighting at 75 kilo, you you're probably walking around in the 80s, weren't you? So it it makes sense, like you say. Doesn't mean that you you have to go on gear to get to that size. Yeah, you're naturally I'm, a lot bigger than 75, and then you mm. you've changed your training to it. So yeah, and then and that was like I was um I, I was I was 
know, I'm sure we'll talk about it later, but I should have and, and could have and would have achieved, achieved some amazing things in boxing. I, I've done things that most guys could only dream about, but I should have went to the very top, like the, the Joshua level, because I know I had that ability. But more than that, like, I was so professional. So when you're on the Great Britain squad, a little secret for the boxing fans, on the Great Britain squad, you've got, uh, I was a middleweight, 75 kilos as an amateur. And you had to stay within 5% of your, of your fighting weight, which as a middleweight was, was 3.5 kilos. So every time I turned up for training on a Monday, we trained all week, home for weekends, back on a Monday. Every Monday, the first thing you do, they jump, you jump on the scales. And I was, you had to be within 78.5 kilos. And, um, and it was hard because you want to have a few, you, know, you want to enjoy your weekend and stuff. But that was, that's what it, even as an amateur boxer, an Olympic boxer, I was so professional. And when I turned pro, I wanted that same, same thing. So although I wasn't accountable to anybody else other than myself, as a pro, I was 72.5 kilos, like 11 stone 6, 160 pounds, 72 and a half kilograms. So I did the same thing. So my, so my, about, I had, my 5% was three, three and a bit kilos. So I wouldn't let myself go over 75 kilos. Cause so now I'm walking around when I'm in training camp and now I'm walking around at the weight that I struggle to make as an amateur. That's my walk around weight. So, and I think that led to, I think my, my ultra desire to be professional probably led to some of my injuries, like I had some muscle tears and I, I torn ligaments because my body was just, just wanted nutrition. And, and I was training really, like nobody trained as, as hard as me. And I, did it off a very low, like, calorie diet. So I've got a few injuries, and, you know, it's, just, it's done. I can't do anything about it. Obviously, you learn moving forwards. But, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting to see what I could have done in boxing had I known yeah. your stuff now. But all you know is what you know. And, um, and I did, I did um, tremendously well with the, with the cards I was dealt in my, my whole career. Yeah, I wasn't aware of that five percent rule in GB um, because I'm also I'm always used to the pros talking about the weight they're usually at. Then you've got these MMA stars in the UFC, and they walk around at a hell of a much bigger weight than than what they're actually making. So, mm. but it must be nice to to now be able to to eat when you want. <clears throat> That's the thing. I mean, it is uh, for for the best part of the year it was, and I put some weight size on. Also got a bit chubby as well. I look at pictures of me from, from this time last year thinking, oh my goodness. And my <laughs> wife, my wife, bless her, she said to me, oh, and you, you can't, know, you're getting a bit, you're getting a bit, you know, getting a bit. <laughs> That's a code. And yeah, and, and I thought she was joking. I'd, I'd, I'd giggle. She said, I was lying in bed one day, I yawned. She went, bloody hell, you've got gills. <laughs> Your fish is gills in my back. And because she, she was used to me, she used to call me when I was boxing. She's the most loveliest girl in the world. I'm not digging her out. But when I was boxing, when I was boxing, I'd look like a skeletal. So I was so drawn and so cut and my eyes were so sunken. And then I've gone from one extreme to the other. But um, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. But again, being this professional man that I am, I'm now doing a whole new career and I want to give it my best shot. I've gone from barely eating and training really hard to training really hard although different training and eating every three hours so it like and it's it's a chore again it's a ball ache like i don't want to eat all the time i've got my lunch here which i've which i'm postponing until i finish with you i've got some stuff there it's, what's it in there then what have you got now i'm in a hotel at the moment um and these aren't my 
these aren't my curtains, <laughs> by the way. They're ugly curtains. They aren't my curtains. <laughs> I'm going to make that point. I'm in the hotel, but uh, it's turkey and bacon uh, roll wrap thing. Nice. Um, healthiest thing you yeah. had. But just to get the extra calories in, the biggest, fattest chocolate chip cookie I could find. Oh, what? So, um, <laughs> I'll get on that. I'll get on that afterwards. That'd be good. Yeah, um, you just mentioned as well a little bit about what you did achieve in boxing. Obviously, you um, you got bronze in at the Olympics in the 2012. And I remember watching you from there and watching you in the national ABAs. It opened my eyes up to the amateur game, and I really got mm. into that more than probably the pros. Cool. Mm. So, yeah, I watched you you come up and and win the the bronze as well in the 2012. And it was just it was horrible to see what happened in the pro and pro game and having you having to retire early and obviously um you registered blind just before um retiring which we'll we'll get on to but um yeah do, do you have any any regrets on the on the pro career or yeah yeah this well it's an interesting word regret yeah. um i regret how it ended but i did everything to the best of my ability that just was the way it was going to be I had um, the injury I suffered in my eye was a bad injury, but it was it was treatable. Um, but the doctor I saw, they they diagnosed in a particular way, done a particular procedure. It was now retrospectively the wrong thing to do. But at the time, again, I'm always do think to the nth degree. Like nothing is more important than my my career when I was boxing, and I had that's why I had nine operations when I was told after two, like call it a day. I carried on for best part of three years and had nine. Um, I saw I saw ten doctors, ten doctors, and um, before my first procedure, most time you see one, they get second opinion. I got nine second opinions, and each doctor I saw, I said, if I don't choose you to do this surgery, I've seen all these different people. Who would you recommend? And the majority of them said this consultant that I went to uh, had surgery in the end. And even though I didn't get a great freedom from this consultant, everyone said this person, the general consensus was this person was the best consultant in the world, at the best hospital in the world, for eyes. Um, I'd be silly not to. And I, I went with all the evidence. I mean, you'd have been a lunatic not to do that. Because, of and unfortunately, this person, you know, asked different people, uh, I say messed me up, done the wrong thing, didn't do a particular test, which meant I had, to, had, I had the wrong surgery. But that's, that's, uh, I can't really say much more because I'll get in legal trouble. Um, so yeah, that was it. Was just just a nightmare, really. It was a massive nightmare, and that's, that's really unfortunate. But I did. I maintain. I did everything in my power to now every step along the way. Like I had an interest. I had a, a really like, unconventional training setup at the time when I first turned pro. And looking back now, I shouldn't. I should never have been in that situation. But I was a bit young, a bit naive, and I believed in people that told me that, oh, it'll be like this for a certain amount of time, but after this period, then we'll do this. And I was like, okay. And I hung on to that the belief, and, you know, I should have been a bit more assertive and said, no, this is the way it's got to be. This is my career. Like, as a boxer, you get one career. And I trained with Virgil Hunter in America. And I went over there a couple of times to train with him. And he, and I, I regret this. It's the one thing I regret probably, probably in my life. It was definitely my, my, my professional career in terms of since I've been an, an adult. I trained with Virgin in 2014 and Andre Ward was coming to the end of his career and he had a couple of young young guys 
Uh, and he said to me, I was there for, for two and a half weeks. We had a great, great training camp. Had a Mir Khan at the time. He said, I wouldn't just stay here and train with me. He said, you're going to be the last person I'll take on. I was 24, maybe 25. Yeah. Jürgen, he said, I'll have, I've got the best part of 10 years left in me. And then you're going to be the last person I'll take on. I'll take you from now. I had about seven fights. I'll take you to the top. And then we can retire together. And that, being a young boxer, the two-time world trainer of the year, telling you that like, you're going to be his last charge, I was like, wow. And, and I was with my friend. And we, we, we flew back to... Uh, and in my head, I was, I was doing it. I was like, yep, this is the way it's going to be. I'm going to come home. I'm going to tell my wife, to my mom that I'm moving to America. And uh, in the airport, my friend was with me. And I was so dead set on doing it that he had like $500 left. So rather than going to foreign exchange and changing it back into pounds and paying commission, I said, let me buy your dollars from you in, in English pounds, British pounds, because I'm coming back here. I came back, spoke to my team, spoke to my then trainer, and I let my then trainer um, kind of coerce me into staying. And, and Virgil said to me, if you, go, if you go back, I don't think you're going to come back. I said, no, I will. I definitely will. Um, and I went back, and, and he was right. I, I didn't. I was, it was a tough decision. And I've, I've literally like two fights. The next fight, I've done my shoulder after a year. I had three fights back and done my eye. So it was a nightmare. I mean, who's like, you know, nobody can see into the, into the future and nobody knows that. I could have stayed in America and my very first spot, done my shoulder after a year. And then very first fight, done my eye. And I could have regretted going there. You just don't know what's going to happen. But yeah. I wish I would have taken that step uh, and, and, and trained with him because I would have finally got a coach that, um, that I would, that that my talent and my and my uh, professionalism deserved. I never had that. I had a great coach in the UK, but I was I was an afterthought. How, how come you didn't go back in the end? Because obviously Virgil's like one of the sort of genius boxing minds, and for him to show that belief in you, that that I know you've got in yourself as well. But what what made you not go back in the end? Just I trained. I can't I can't say who because I'll get in trouble because I've done it oh, okay. before and said it. Yeah. But, um, and I, we had to cancel it because I would have got in trouble. And um, so, but I trained with a coach in the UK who is like unbelievably good, like um, unbelievably good. And I maintain to this day in the gym, probably nobody's better, possibly in the world. But he just couldn't give me the time that I needed. That I, that would have, it would have taken me to become a world champion. And he kept saying to me that, oh, I will. If you do this, I'll give you time. If you do this, I'll give you time. I kept doing my end of the bargain. And the time wasn't coming. But I probably wrongly had too much belief in this person because I felt like maybe some of my earlier um, achievements was like I probably put too much of that. I, I probably, you know, every boxer is good because they get trained well by their coaches. I think I'd put too much of that faith in him and less than myself. I felt kind of indebted to him, really. Um, so, yeah, so a bit, a bit frustrated, really. So um, but that's the only reason why. And, and this, this this coach was is is fantastic. He's an unbelievable coach. It's just that I didn't have this set up. What, what I like about American, American sports, I always say that um, like professional boxing in, in in England and Britain, which as a whole really, is so unprofessional. Like at my, on the GB squad, that whole setup is way more professional than any professional boxer setup. And it's just it's just it just is it's the way it is. It's a, it's a dinosaur sport, you know. Yeah. Most. Most pro boxers do, they do training what their coaches did 20 years before 
and they do it because they're 20 years, whereas every other sport in the world has like sports science and they bring in only recently, like doing weight in boxing, it's like, oh, you can't work because yeah. you get big, you get slow, you get. And now it's like actually done weight correctly, it can, it can alien, you can be stronger, you get less injuries, punch harder. Now, who doesn't want to punch harder and, and get less injuries? But um, it's an old school sport. Um, I wish, yeah, like science it's, it's a wonderful thing. I think if I've got another crack at it, and when I, when I retired, actually, I hurt my eye. I started training with a bloke called Barry O'Connell in Hammersmith, um, State of Mind Fitness. And Barry's the most underrated. Uh, he'll be, I, I genuinely believe, if, if a young, up-and-coming, hungry boxer puts his belief, put their belief in Barry, like I did the last three years of my career, he'll take him to the top because he's so good. And rather than being a, an afterthought for the really experienced coach I had before, I wish I'd have met Barry before my eye got bad. Because I hurt my eye in 2016, didn't retire until 2019. So for three years, I carried on training every day. Like I was training for the world title, because I always thought I was going to get back in and fight. I trained with Barry, and we had a great rapport, tremendous coach. I learned so much in those two, two and a half years. Unfortunately, I couldn't put it into practice on fight night, which is a shame, because he would, uh, you know, even to the point where, like, naturally, I'm, I'm left-handed. I'm a southpaw, naturally. When I first walked in the gym as a 12-year-old, they said to me, box back with this. And I started boxing southpaw. Not that I didn't know what to do. And they just switched me. Because apparently most kids that are right-handed want to start punching with their right hand. And he just presumed I was right-handed. Switched me. That's how you box. And it wasn't until I won like my second junior ABA title, I, I used my left hand to sign the paper. And my coach went, what are you doing? And I went, my, my second scoreboard title, sorry. I went, you went, what are you doing? I went, what my name? He said, with your left hand? I went, yeah, I'm left-handed. I went, fuck, you should have been a southpaw. Oh, brilliant. I had no idea. <laughs> Might have been a southpaw, I think it would be even better. But point I'm making is, Barry was the only coach I ever had that encouraged me to box southpaw. So we'd go and we'd do whole training sessions just southpaw. And I was a better southpaw because naturally, I'm a southpaw. Um, and I unfortunately didn't get the chance to show people that um, I, I had these strings for my bow. That, that's nuts, that is. So just think of the, the level you got to, the, the highest level possible, and that was all through in the wrong stance, technically, then. Um, much, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's mad. Um, you, you mentioned walking into the gym. How did that come about? Like, what was your childhood like, and what led you to think, you know, I'm going to give boxing a go? Um, I was... I was... I am so bad at so many things, and I don't want to come across as arrogant because... I'm really not. I'm confident, but I'm not arrogant. I'm so bad at so many things, right? But as a kid, I was good at two things. I was good at sport. Like any sport I did, I was good at. And I was good at school. I was quite clever, which I liked because I was really competitive. I wanted to be the best person at maths, at science, at English. And I was just, and I was good at it. And then, you know, I was madly, I was good. I don't know why I was good. I didn't do any homework, but I was just in the top, so I was just good. Anyway. So as a kid, I was good at sport, right? And um, and I swam to a national, at a national level just because we went to Butlins when I was a kid. I was about four or five. And I just dove in the water. My mum had you know, five of us, mom, me and four sisters. I'm a single parent. My mum had like eyes everywhere to make sure we were okay. And there's me running around just being a lunatic. And she went to me, if you're going to do this, you've got to learn to swim. So I started swimming. And I was good at swimming. And I competed to a really high like level. Um, I played football to a good level. So when I stopped playing football, I played for Norwich uh, Academy. I was captain of, of Suffolk. 
um, my county. I was a good footballer. And then I started boxing when I was 12. And long story short, at school, we're in year seven, probably the same for yourself. Uh, lunchtime football was life. Yeah. It was like the only thing that mattered. And then we're playing. And then in the semi-final, I was through to the final. Adam and Aaron, two of my best mates, were in the semi-final. Adam, big, cool kid. All the girls fancied him. Good-looking lad. Good at football. And Aaron. Aaron was small, scorny, a bit of a nerd. He used to play, <laughs> he used to, um, play football with his backpack on. So everyone else take, takes their bags off and play. He's running around with his backpack it's on. like a resistance training or something. <laughs> Trying to get yeah. better. Yeah, I think it's because he didn't trust anybody. Because he didn't yeah. know people to pick on him. So we ran football. Adam took a shot. Boom. Come off Aaron's knee. Flew into the top corner. It was Aaron's goal. He's made a few to the final. Adam got the arm. Adam was pissed off. Aaron's celebrating. Adam goes over to him and shoves him. It was flying across this tarmac astroturf. Aaron went, don't do that. That's not very nice. He did it again. Boom. Second time, his bag opened. And I remember that um, his birthday party was coming up. And all the invites came out over the scout on the floor. So he got up, took his bag off, walked up to Adam. Everyone's going, fight, fight, fight. Adam, big. Aaron, small. Everyone thinks Adam's going to win. 20 seconds later, Aaron, bam, 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 bam. Adam, the big one, he's on the floor crying his eyes out. He's just been filled in by Aaron. And everyone's going, Aaron, Aaron, cheering Aaron. I said to him, how did you learn to do that? He goes, I, I go boxing club. I had no idea. I had no idea there was a boxing club in town. I said, well, can I go? I want to learn that. He went, yeah, and that's a Wednesday. He said, you can come tonight. It's a beginner session. I train with the advanced guys now. I've been going for a few months. I was like, okay, cool, but I didn't want to go by myself. So I went over to Adam. The bell goes, everyone go walks in. Adam went, Aaron only won because he goes boxing club. We should go tonight, get really good, and fight him again tomorrow. He went, I don't know, I don't know, he's still crying. I don't know, I said, like, oh, I said, if you, if you win, all the girls are going to fancy you again. He went, yeah? I went, yeah. He went, all right then. So I ran home, got my bicycle, uh, picked him up, gave him a seater, bike down to the shop, walked into a shop, and I bought a, a gum shield, like 50p, an orange gum shield. And I didn't even know that you had to like, you had to mold a gum shield. I just got it, put it in my mouth, went to the gym, I went, oh, on the box. And I walked in and I fell in love. From the very second, I fell in love. And um, the smell, the atmosphere, the environment, the people, the fact that rather than and normally if you fight, you get told off. Um, now if you fight, if you punch people, you're getting commended. It's like, yeah, well done, you get pat on back. I'm thinking, this is, the best thing ever. Like, where's this been in my life? And then I boxed and I done a few, I, I, I dropped swimming pretty much quick straight away. And I was football and boxing quite a lot. And I got to the point where I was missing matches because I had England training, like England camps, Crystal Palace. And then I got to the point where I thought, I'm just, I just want to box now. And I just boxed. And I'm pretty sure I had the right decision because, you know, I was good at football, but I wasn't, I probably wasn't going to become Cristiano Ronaldo, you know. And, and boxing, you know, had, had gave me a great, great career and a great life. What about boxing, though? Were you a natural when you walked in there? Or do you still remember sort of clumsily mm. walking in and then being shown and, and then just... Yeah, no, I was um, like to the point where they... they I learned there's two clubs. In, in my little town where I'm from, there's two clubs. And they thought I'd been to the other clubs because I could, I, I could do things. I could skip. Never skipped before. I've always skipped them for girls. I could skip the way I was punching the bag. 
And just yesterday, I won't show it, but just yesterday, a friend of mine who's affiliated to Boston Club sent me my first ever fight because I don't know how much we're going to talk later, but I'm getting a documentary made about me, about my career in boxing and retiring and the eye stuff and, and my, my next chapter. Um, so we, I'm trying to get like archive loads of footage. Um, and I had, haven't seen that fight before, ever, ever before. And I've been, I've been training for like three months. We had, that's quite popular in my little town. And then we had a home, sh- home show coming up. So I trained for a number of weeks. They got me carded and I've boxed like three months after, after starting training. I knocked the kid out in the second round. I stopped him. Um, so I, I picked things up real, real quick. I was um, said there's a million things I can't do, but luckily for me, sport has been something that um, I've been good at. Yeah, that's that's interesting as well with the way you got into it with uh, <laughs> with your friends and fighting. That that just sums up um, just sums up like year seven for me. That does as well. <laughs> Football, <laughs> girls, Football and fights. Yeah. yeah. But um, you went to Texas as well, didn't you, when you was younger? Mm-hmm. Um, because I was having a look through uh, your amateur career as well. Yeah. Um, bef- before I kind of saw, I don't know how old you would have been then, but you would have been 15. junior, wouldn't you? 15. And you went to yeah. Texas. What was that experience like? Because Unbelievable. I'd never been on a plane before. I never travelled, never left England before. I went to Texas, uh, Brownsville, Texas, um, for the Junior Olympics. And the team in the squad, just a couple of the names in the squad, me, George Groves, Lou Campbell, George Groves, world champ, Lou Campbell, Olympic champion, and myself. Uh, it was Miles Shinkwin was a decent boxer, pro level. Um, good lads. Chris Higgs, that was Danny Kent was there. Good team. Um, Chris Wiley, he was a good, good pro. Real good squad. And we went to there, and I won the gold medal, and I won the most outstanding boxer of the tournament award, which was unbelievable. Because at this point, at this point, I trained twice a week. I was 15 because the boxing gym was open twice a week. And if I, and I, and I, and I played football the other days and played football on a Sunday, and if I got some sparring on a Sunday, I'd go I'd play football, get my, bike, get my bicycle, bike to a gym and get, get a sparring after football with muddy knees and shin pads on still. Um, so, yeah, at the time, I, I boxed twice a week and I'd just gone to America and won the Junior Olympics and won the gold medal. And I, I was on the plane driving back, flying back on the plane. And the, the captain of the plane congratulated the boxing team and a special well done for me and Lou Campbell for winning gold medals, right? And I'm flying back. I'm thinking, fucking hell. Like, I'm just a little scallywag from a small town in England. Like, what I'm getting, like, and everyone gave me a massive like, round of applause. And I, got, and I got the train, flew to London, got the train back to Lowestock and at the station. Everyone was there, like, like big banners and stuff. I'm thinking, this is great. I'm, I'm getting applauded beating people up <laughs> this is brilliant and then uh, I went to school and I was late and it was a Monday for jet lag I've been in America for three weeks I was late for school we had a big school assembly Monday morning and I walked in I was a little bit late all like nice all like like small and all like sleep dusty and I walked in and Mr. Bethany went Anthony O'Gogo because normally I was, I was in trouble I was always I was clever at school but I was a pain in the ass so I was that dickhead at school that could do all the work and get an A, but like fuck around at the back. So the, the they're the mind. worst kind. That my, oh, <laughs> they're the, my mate used to be like that. It'd be, it'd, <laughs> everyone fell out with him the one time because he fell to sleep in class, woke up, took the test, got the best test, and went out. And everyone was like, <laughs> mate, uh, I, so this is, this, this is a massive scoop. This is bad. My mum's going to give me a slap for this. <laughs> um, 
I got drunk once. I got drunk. Me and me and Adam Ricks got drunk at school. Um, we got drunk. We got pissed at lunchtime. His, his parents had gone away, and me and Ricky went to his house at lunchtime and got pissed up. We were like sixteen. I kind of just got pissed, stinging alcohol. I'm sitting in science at right the back of the class, drunk, sixteen years old, answering all the questions, getting them all right. And my mate Shady, you know, fucking pissed me off. He had to take me to the toilet because I was I was going to be sick. And he went to me, mate, just calm down. Like you're going to get yourself in trouble. And then we had like science and RE in the afternoon. That's a bit of a dot afternoon. And he went to me, I'm annoyed the fact that you come to school pissed. You're still smarter than me. Like, and I'm trying really hard. So, yeah, I don't condone drinking. Don't do that. Kids. Yeah, but, it doesn't work like that for everyone. Seriously. Yeah. You know, it, you know, I did. I remember, um, I'm making that with Stephen Hawkins. I'm not Stephen Hawkins. But I remember, um, oh gosh, I had to work hard for maths. I got an A in maths and GCSE. And we did it six months early because they wanted the whole uh, we had a quite, quite a clever maths class and um they wanted them all to do so we did our exams in november because the second half of the year they wanted all the guys doing maths to take further maths at a level and we're going to start that course with whilst in year 11 still i didn't think so i knew that wasn't my kind of uh, path in life but i remember i had to really work hard for maths like maths didn't come easy to me i had to really like I quite get English, quite get science, but math for some reason I had to really kind of like study to get a good grade. But when you're competitive, like with myself, I didn't want to. When I was younger, I wanted to be the cleverest in the class. And when I got a little bit older, I was just competitive with myself. And that goes through sport, um, uh, boxing, school. I always want to be better. And I didn't want to. If I got a B, I'd get. I'd be pissed off with myself. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I've always been really competitive with myself, and I think as the best person to compete again. As soon as you start comparing, like, and I didn't, I learned this the hard way. I learned this because I'm sure we'll talk later about the Olympics, but like, I was bitter and jealous for a while because I look at people like Josh, I like Joshua, he, I'm not, I'm not digging him out, and Campbell, one of my best mates um, in boxing. I saw that those guys got gold medals in London. And I was like, how have they, like, like Nicola Adams and, and, and even Fred Evans got silver. I'm thinking, how come they've got better medals than me? Like, I've, I train harder than them. I'm better than them. I've, or not, well, I deserve it more than them. Like my, like, I maintain that nobody in the Olympics, not the boxing team, not like just every sport in every country, had a qualification process quite like mine. The injuries, my mum falling ill just before, thinking I was never going to see her again. Like sneaking out of the village in, in the early hours of the morning to get to my car at Wanstead, driving up to Adamborough in Cambridge, where my mum was hospital, and never thought I was going to see her again. Holding her hand till three in the morning, four in the morning getting back in my car, driving back down to Wanstead, parking my car there, waiting for the tubes to like one and again at five in the morning, get a tube and creep back into the Olympic Village and get back into bed before the coaches woke up. Well, that, that's what I was doing in the Olympic Games. Like two times during the boxing, one time after I got beaten at the semi-final. The worry of thinking I'm never going to see my mum again, plus having a discated shoulder, a broken rib, tears in my Achilles tendons. Like, I maintain that any of those other guys had my, my luck they went and got a medal, and I did. And I was just annoyed that they got gold and I didn't get gold, so I won the gold medal. And I was bitter for a while. And I, had to, I learned the hard way that, and I take nothing away from those guys. I respect Campbell, Joshua, Fred Evans, Nico Adams, all those guys. But it still annoys me that I didn't get what I should have got, what I deserved to get, when that was my one dream in life was Olympics. I wasn't fast about turning pro. I wanted the gold medal in the Olympics. Um, but I learned, I learned the hard way that, when you compare your life to other people, like there's no you, you can't do that. 
It's just, yeah. that's you're, the recipe for unhappiness. That, that's exactly what I was going to say as well, is you can't be happy when you're comparing to other people, but I completely yeah. get that as well. Because you must have set your sights out, like we just talked about Texas and sort of coming up, and you must have suddenly had a moment there where you realised, I could do this, I can do this at the top level. Yeah, and then, so I was going to say, sorry, I was just going to say on that point, and I was sorry for putting in, so on the plane coming back, the captain said to me and Campbell, well done. And I sat there and then I thought, I could do this. Like up until that point, I was 15. Up until that point, I boxed, so I enjoyed it. And that's fun. And I, I, I enjoyed doing it. But I thought, if I train twice a week now and I win um, Junior Olympics, the best boxing tournament uh, award, fuck, if I really like give this my all, I could actually do this as a job. As a lie, as their opinion, and yeah, so that was the moment I thought I'm going to give us my all now. Like I'm going to, this is this is me. So yeah, yeah, I can imagine then from you know getting gold in Texas with the locks of uh, with Luke Campbell doing it as well. And you just mentioned the team you had. You had such a good team at those Olympics, but mm. you must be putting the Olympics like up here, thinking you know that's my goal, and imagining it and dreaming. I, I don't know, really feeling what that's going to be like and then it just w- couldn't have been anything like it because obviously your mum was taken ill you had all these injuries are you not proud of yourself now because i think with boxing as well is people who don't know the sport it's did you win did you lose did you get gold did you get silver bronze mm. but it's usually there's a lot more of a backstory isn't there to boxing and you mm. had one of the the craziest mm. times all the way through especially in the yeah. olympics as well mm. Yeah, you know, it's taken me a long time to be proud of it. Like I could not up until up until a year ago, I could not tell you where my who where my medal was. Like who had it is in is in the boot of my car for a month. I had been so I wasn't proud of it because she been the gold, you know, and that and and it took me a long time. It took me a long time, like best part of eight years to realise that well like what I did under the circumstances is still is 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 still amazing. It's like it's not really cheesy, and I know it's not, and I'm very hard on myself anyway. But it's kind of like a gold medal, just going there, like just going to Olympics. So because I and I didn't train for four weeks. Mine was taken ill, and so six weeks before my first fight, and I didn't train for four for a month. Didn't do a pressed up, didn't do a sit up. I sat by a bedside every day in the hospital, and then uh, my sister's kind of guilt tripped me they said look mum's gonna get better and none of us thought she was really but said mum's gonna get better and when she gets better she's gonna feel awful knowing that you didn't do the games because of her and now and i had a choice to make do i do i stay here and and she would like you know my mum thankfully is made a recovery she's still alive today and i'm so so proud of it and amazing and should have felt She'd never forgiven herself, but I didn't, because she knew how much it meant to me. So I'm a massive mummy's boy, and up until that point, 23 years old, I was still at home, and I was on the squad. So Monday to Friday, Sheffield, back for a weekend, and then every Monday I'd come down, I'd, I'd do my one, I'd come back, have a shower, and my bags were packed for me, and my my, my bandages were wrapped up for me, and I had little a little little packed lunchbox I could have on the road when I was driving up, mums, everything for me. And so I was a massive mummy's boy. What and, did she? Um, sorry, what did she go to the hospital for? Because a, I remember the... a, yeah, she had a brain aneurysm. She had a really bad bleed in the brain. It should have killed her like that. Like it's a miracle that she's here still. And that's doctors say that. Like doctors that are scientists who don't like saying the word miracle because they like to think it's them. It's like so they believe in science. They said to her the bleed that she had in the in her brain should have killed her like that. 
And so when, after a few months, when I said, look, she, after a few weeks, I said, look, she might survive this, but if she does survive this, just know that she's not going to be a mum anymore. She's going to be in, the, in, the, in, the, in a vegetative state. And then she kept, like, improving and improving and improving and improving. And then, yeah, she made an amazing recovery. And my mum, so she had to uh, learn to walk again, learn to talk again. Then I was there and she had to write her name. And I actually, like, she held it to get, they give her, a, to pick, pick the pen up. And she picked it up. It's quite funny. <laughs> she picked it up like it was a knife. Like she was going to stab somebody. And she wrote her name like that. And that was so funny. But, like, like proud funny because yeah. she, should, she should have been dead like months before and now she's writing her name. It wasn't well, that, that's, really name. that's real warrior spirit, mm. isn't it? When you see someone yeah. having to come back like that. That's... 100%. And what I was going to say was, so within a year later, my mum, this is my mum, within a year later, she's gone from having to walk again, learning to walk again, to within a year, she climbed up Ben Nevis, which is like the biggest mountain in the UK, uh, for charity. Um, you know, and yeah, so... Massive inspiration for me, and a very yeah, difficult, brilliant. very difficult time, very difficult time. But yeah, like you said, mate, like I, I dreamt of the Olympic Games since my first memory in my entire life. I was three and a half years old, watching Linford Christie win the gold medal in 1992, and there, the flag behind his head. My first memory in life. I was three, and I wanted to do that. And I watched every Olympics, everything, watched every sport, every Commonwealth Games. I just loved sport. And I wanted to be there one day. And I finally got there one day. And I thought, and I sat there. So, so my mum, as I said earlier, had, I didn't train for four weeks. And my sister's kind of guilted me into, into doing the Olympics. I went to Sheffield. We had one week of training left before going to London. And on that month, on the day I arrived, I think it was a Tuesday, we had a family and friends day. And basically it meant all the guys that qualified could invite their family and friends to watch them. So I had nobody there because they're obviously with my mum in, in the hospital and, and, and that stuff. And I spotted Fred Evans. Fred, really, really good fighter. Really good fighter. A right-handed southpaw, so opposite to me, really, left-handed offer. And he had all his family and friends around the ring, and they're, like, they're travellers, so they were like around the ring, go on, Fred, go on, Fred, go on, Fred, like it was, a, like it was the Olympic final. And I had to a punch for a month. And my phone was in my pocket because I was mum's, on my mum's next of kin. So if, any, if they call up for an emergency, I had to answer it. The first punch I throw, a sloppy jab. First tips out, boom, body shot to me and break my rib with the first punch. And still to this day, it's popped, it's, it's not, it didn't go back into place, dislocated. Oh, the pain. And I got through the spa somehow. And then I sat there and I was sweating my tits off. And I used to, I sweat a lot when I trained. And a sweat was covering up my tears, so I was crying. My shoulder was going up and down. And my shoulder was, uh, so I just like the year before, I dislocated my shoulder. I had to rush to rehab to get back. That was still dislocated. They didn't repair properly. It came out again in a fight in 2015 when I was out broke. Shoulders buggered. I had a broken rib. I had tears in my Achilles tendons that would later keep me out for two years. Again, when I turned pro, I was out for two years, my Achilles. And worst of all, I thought, my mum's going to die. Never going to see her again. And this is my Olympics. And I thought, shouldn't be like that, you know? So, so yeah, so the, 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 the athlete in me, that, the elite athlete in me that only wants gold all the time was still is bitterly disappointed that I didn't get the gold because I should have got the gold. Um, but the man in me was like, fucking hell, after all that I was going through, like just going, just having the strength and of character, 
to leave the hospital and go to Olympics. Like, that's a win right there. Yeah. And then getting the draw that I did, always get the tough draw, always got to have the extra fight. Got up. So, in the big opening ceremonies on a Friday night, I didn't go for a box Saturday morning. So, the first fight, I, 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 oh, it's a nightmare, mate. Nightmare. But, dude, like, you know, I think you learn a lot. You learn a lot about yourself in, in times of, of struggle. And I learned a lot about myself um, in did, that big struggle. Was it ever in doubt, like, when, when your rib went? Did you not? You said you were crying there. Did you not just sit and think your shoulder, your rib, and and your mum's in hospital? Did you just think I'm done? I'm not doing it. I, I was crying because I was crying because I just didn't want to be there. I wanted to be with my family. I didn't yeah. cry because of, it wasn't the pain and my rib was what was making me cry. But at that point, mate, like this is kind of like conversely, it's weird because because I was so just spent and I got beaten in the semi final by a Brazilian. He was the worst person I fought. The Dominican, Ukrainian, and German, and all beating him that Olympic year. Like he was the worst person I fought. But by the time I got to the semi-final, I just had nothing left. The Ukrainian, I've never, and I don't expect ever to be hit as hard as I got hit by that Ukrainian. He hit me so hard that I blocked the punch. I blocked it. He punched my forearm, and it still made my legs wobble. That's how hard he hit me, right? And he hit me clean as well. And I took all his shots. Didn't stood up to every single punch. And then um, the Brazilian could not punch. Toffee, nowhere near as much as Ukrainian. He didn't me down the pipe, and I've gone down, just because I had nothing left. Like my resistance was gone. I had nothing left. I had no energy, mental, physical. I was just gone, you know. No wonder, as well. Look, we talk about your shoulder had gone, your rib, and then your mum was in hospital, and then just to add to it all, you got Drew against the number one, who I think a lot of people were probably expecting him to win. There, everyone, but, yeah, everyone. And- well, I think it was Kai Trav, wasn't it? And he, like you say, is a, a very powerful boxer as well as technically good. And you beat mm. him as well. Was that the first fight at the Olympics? No, I boxed the Dominican the Saturday. Oh, that was it, yeah. And he, and he, that's what I mean. Like, people forget I boxed him. He was like the Brazilian that I lost to, but better, but yeah. stronger, but punch harder. Just as elusive, just as awkward on his back foot style, four fighter. Um, good. And that pissed me off. I turned pro and someone, someone I overheard well, somebody said something about me. I won't say who it was because I've never spoken to this person about it and it pissed me off. Someone said, um, I'll watch it into a go-go and a, a, an esteemed British coach went, nah, he's not going to make it. He's got no chin. So I got dropped in the Olympic semi-final. And people make assessments of what they see and I guess that's all they can do, right? I mean, you have no fucking idea what I was going through at that time. Like, you have no idea. Like, a fit me beats every single person in the Olympic Games. Every, like, Every single person. Um, a fit me, they had a training camp, like they had a training camp, no injuries, I beat them all. And that's why I was bitter, I didn't get the gold medal. And for somebody to say, for a top coach to say, I oh, was not going to make it because he hasn't got a good chin. Are you fucking quitting, mate? Yeah. Definitely. And there's a chance, and someone said to me, someone said, why don't you go and train with him, do like a little camp with him, like before I picked a, a, a pro coach. But well, I ain't training with him now. He's looking like, I'm not even going to go there and prove him wrong. Fuck him. But, um, yeah, so. Yeah, yeah, mate, but, you know. I, I think you proved, proved your quality there. Like we said, we've beaten the, the number one and, and the fights that you did have there. Did it bring a lot of um, more attention? Because you seem to be like the face of GB by that point anyway. Like, you'd see you on adverts and different sponsorships. Did that just sort of catapult from there as well to get the brands and get a load of opportunities? I know you were signed by Golden Boy and there was a lot of discussion at this time that everyone wanted to get the Olympian because you had a good team, like we've already mentioned. AJ was in there as well. Um, 
and I thought when when I looked at it after you and AJ were like not just technically good but marketable as well so it, were there a lot of opportunities that came along with that yeah um, I, met, I met all the promoters I met them all I met uh, dinner with Ricky Hatton he was doing the promotional thing the time didn't come off in the end I met Warren I met Eddie Hearn he wound me up um, Eddie did I met Eddie in, a, in my office in, in the sport agency office I'm with Wasserman who we in Soho Square at the time I was really really happy about like meeting Eddie because he was he had Matchroom he had Sky so he's probably going to be like the favourite and I met him and he just bungled the whole thing um, I was there and a young man had this Olympic story that I'd just been through and you know really keen to put the disappointment of the Olympics behind me and, and, and win a world title to put yeah to win a world title to put that to bed you know, put the Olympics to bed and the bitterness and, and sorrow around it all mum was kind of getting better and better so I was ready to kind of start focusing and he spent the whole meeting talking about Joshua and the much wanted to sign Joshua I'm thinking, are you fucking taking the piss? Was that like, a tactic? Was, Do you think nah, that was a tactic? He just wanted to sign Joshua. He just, he just, he just saw. He, like, listen, and I'm, I'm not. I'm looking. He's gone on, done really well. So I'm not saying. Um, and I've gone on. My career's over now. I'm not saying. It was just. Yeah, yeah no. It pissed me off. That's like common courtesy. I'm a fucking professional. I'm a, an Olympic medalist myself. I've got this like amazing story I've been through. And talking about fucking Joshua in, in my meeting. I'm like, nah, fuck him. I don't want to go with him. Like, it wound me up. So that much. But I don't want to go with him. It really, really annoyed me. So, and also, but the main reason was because um, the offer was really low as well. A really low offer, like, financially. Um, and, but the main reason why I wanted to do, why I went with Golden Boy is because, like, I fell in love with, with Richard Schaefer and his vision and what he wanted to do. And basically, basically what he wanted to do with Golden Boy is do what, Matching we're doing now or before the pandemic because matching we've now got like matching USA eight years ago Schaefer wanted Golden Boy UK he wanted me he wanted to have a small team you're looking at me George Groves he met Luke Campbell met a few met a few a small team and so BT Sport wasn't even a thing back then but BT Sport was obviously becoming a thing he knew it he was talking to different people and the plan was for us to be on BT Sport um, to rival Sky and Matchroom and the Golden Boy UK to have BT Sport lined up and I was going to be basically the face of that and um, you know, he, he showed me all the emails and, and the proof it was, it was there, it was going to happen and um, I signed with, with Richard and um, <clears throat> but also boxing in the, in, in the US and the fight with Canelo like Canelo at the time was like 10 stone like low welter but he was like, like this fight, we'll do this fight in four or five years time huge fight you versus Canelo world title like that was something I was always gearing towards that was always in the back of our our minds and they're going to build him over in the US as they have done with me in the UK me fighting not the odd show over there like I thought I may have was undercard fine saying Canelo undercards and then um, so yeah it, it was would have been perfect you know and then unfortunately this is some of my crew up I signed with, with Golden Boy because of Schaefer I met Oscar and we emailed and really nice guy, but Schaefer was the visionary of doing the Golden Boy UK thing. Met Schaefer within six months of signing with Golden Boy. Had a couple of fights, nice start. Within six months, Schaefer and Oscar had a massive row. I uh, don't even know what about. Uh, Oscar sacked him, Oscar fired him, and now on with Golden Boy. 
and Oscar doesn't want to do the UK thing because it wasn't his thing, he was like, and Oscar was great. The Golden Boy were great with me. They were really, I, I commend them. They were fantastic with me. But Oscar went, move to the US, then yeah, we'll build you up over here. I was like, but I don't want to, like the plan was to build me up here. I'm just in the Olympics in London. I'm a big name in the UK. I want to stay here. And they go, we've got no interest in doing, doing the UK thing. So I was like, like I was a footballer, been signed by a manager, manager gets sacked, new guy comes in, doesn't fancy him. That's pretty much my situation. I was like, fucking hell. And then I thought, you know what? Something will happen. I'll just keep working hard, keep training, keep fighting. So I was boxing on. So Golden Boy and Matchroom <clears throat> did a thing where they'd let me fight. So I'd, I'd fight on a Matchroom show, um, which is cool. It's a nice opportunity to fight on a Matchroom show, but I wasn't a Matchroom fighter. So I never got the star treatment that Joshua Campbell got because they were Eddie's fighters and they got started. And I, I understand that. It's a bit like, you know, like, was it? And yeah, it's kind of like everything that could have went wrong. Like Murphy's Law. Like anything that could go wrong did go wrong in my pro career. And it's just really frustrating. And again, like, you asked me the, at, at the beginning of this conversation, and I mentioned about the eye, the eye surgeons. It was like, I did everything right. I mean, if you, if any man on the earth had the offers that I had, everyone is going to lean towards the Golden Boy one because it just sounded exciting and it's big and it was sexy and there was, there was more money than the other ones as well, which I'm not going to lie. The one that came close to that was the matchroom offer in terms of like viability. But in the offer, I got a really shit feeling. Like I got made to feel like he doesn't want to be here talking to me. He wants to sign Joshua. Yeah. And, and, and I was like, and that made me feel rubbish. I was like, so that's off the table. Uh, Ricky Hatton didn't have any TV networks at the time. Although he was talking to people, he never got them. So it wasn't really going to be a thing. Frank Warren could have been a thing. I think Frank Warren's probably uh, maintained the best promoter in boxing. He gets his boxers the right fight at the right time, uh, moves them along at their own slow pace, which was cool. But Box Nation was a, was, was, was a thing. It wasn't really, didn't have many subscribers at the time. wasn't really, and I wanted to become... I wanted to be like catspot from the Olympic success I had and become like a mainstream star and pretty sport, which would have given me that. So I chose Golden Boy because it was the right move. And unfortunately, I couldn't foresee Oscar and Richard falling out. And even anyway, in spite of that, I, had, I was out with my Achilles for a long time because on the Great Britain squad, I was told that the Achilles wasn't a thing. Keep training, keep training. And annoyingly, had I, had, had I rested my Achilles, Back in 2010, when they started getting sore for four to six weeks, there wouldn't have been a thing. I had a massive buildup of inflammation in my Achilles, in both sides, in my Achilles tendons. And inflammation, if you look at it as a, as a thing, it's like a sticky substance. It's sticky. And what it did, it stuck my Achilles and the plantaris tendon, which is a thing that's in my leg, together, and just fucked the whole thing up. And I, and I kept on training. They wouldn't have settled. They were getting worse and worse. And as I said, I ended up having four surgeries on my Achilles to get rid of them, whereas six weeks rest two, four years before, I'd have been okay. But on the Great Britain squad, I mean, you're there to win medals and they, they, they make you box all the time. And being a young, hungry boxer wanting to go to Olympic qualifiers, you say yes, never say no. You say yes. It's got worse and worse and frustrating, really. It's, it's completely different to the pro boxing as well, isn't it? Where you, have, you might have two or three fights a year, if you're lucky, where amateurs they're trying to get you out every other week or when you do fight you have the tournaments over like the olympics where 
it's three or four days. If you're winning, you're fighting each day, aren't you? Yeah, um, yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. Um, but I, I remember that Golden Boy promotion as well when they started coming over to the UK, and it was exciting as a boxing fan to see what they were going to do with it. So mm. I see why you would would yeah. go for that, and it was given a bit of a challenge towards Matchroom and Frank mm, Warren. Yeah. Yeah. much needed in the sport yeah exactly and they had they had um Amir Khan who was like the premier athlete and Amir Khan was well 2012 to 13 still in the prime of his career really big name in the UK probably at your time the biggest name in, in, in British boxing they had Amir Khan they wanted to like have me like take on from Amir Khan really they wanted George Grove they met him uh, made him an offer I know that um and a couple of guys. So it would have been a really cool little, like, elite little stable. It would have been really good. But, um, yeah, it didn't, it didn't come off, unfortunately. Um, uh, I remember you went into your debut fight as well, and that got a lot of uh, sort of attention at the time. And it, it couldn't have gone much better, could it? I remember, I think it was a one-two, and then um, you just fainted that jab and just uh, overhand right against someone. Was it Kieran Gray? And he, Kieran Gray, yeah. He's a journeyman, but he's a tough journeyman, and he's fought mm. like um, some some good boxers. Never got him out out of there like that. Um, no. how, how did that feel um, on the pro debut? Yeah, imagine you know, like I often say this. <clears throat> so my pro career peaked on night one. <laughs> it went all downhill after that. No, I, I had no idea. Did, did you no have idea, the like, it, Sorry, did you have the Achilles injury literally like for that fight pretty so, much, and it carried yeah, on? Yeah, yeah. Oh, so, okay. so the Achilles like. Anybody listening to this had Achilles pain, a like proper Achilles pain, but they know what I'm talking about. So hard to describe if you've never had it because it's so weird. Like, I couldn't walk in the morning. And anybody listening to this would go, yeah, I got it. I normally it's one side, so you can kind of hobble on the other leg. Mine is both sides. I'd, go, I'd get out of bed in the morning, right? And I'd just, I'm going to do it because I'm a grown man and I look weird. But I'd shimmy on my bum to the toilet. I'd shimmy on my bum. I couldn't walk. The pain was that bad. Um, <clears throat> and... A couple of things, uh, a couple of reasons why I've gotten done in the end. So I was, I was just persevering throughout my whole early stage of my career. 2010, this was in the Commonwealth Games. I was in uh, training for the Commonwealth Games in Sheffield and they started getting sore. And had I just rested from Commonwealth, which would be the end of October to January, I'd have been okay. But I, they made me go to two more competitions and they just got worse and then there wasn't time to rest. Um, but essentially, yeah, so my Achilles, I was sparring, I fought, sparring with Carl Foch, and Foch could bang, and I sparred Carl all the time. He could really whack Carl, he was heavy-handed, and he was, he was a good fighter, Carl. Sparring Carl in Sheffield, but if we did 12 rounds, like, I'd win the first six, he'd win the last six, because my speed, and movement, and then it got to like round seven or eight, where he comes, comes on strong, and I was still adapting to the longer, to the more rounds. And then, my Achilles was so sore. And it was end of it was a Thursday night towards the end of the training week. They got worse as the training week went on. I had the weekend off. And then he's coming at me. And I thought, normally I'd move my feet and, and move and, and tie him up. I thought, I'm just going to take some star shots now because moving hurt too much on my kiddies. So I tucked up, right? I just tucked up. And he went, boom, 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 a big uppercut. And he put me square nose. And my nose went, fucking hell. I mean, like, I took that shot because my kiddies, not because he was, he earned the shot. I give him the shot because I didn't move my feet because my kiddies were so sore. And then I went for Wayne Reed, July 2014. And Wayne Reed was a good fighter. And then um, same thing. I'm, I'm boxing now on Sky and I'm boxing. And I, was, I stopped him in the fifth. This was like round four, I think. And I was boxing him 
and he's come at me with like a loop and right hook. And normally I'd lent back and, and hit him. Um, but my kids are so soft, but I'm just going to take this one. I'm just going to take this one. So I blocked it and I thought he was going to hit me here. He looped it long, come around the, like, the back of the ear, and my, my knee did like a little dip. Fuck's sake. And I was a bit embarrassed because he didn't wobble me, but he hit me hard enough for me to need to go down. And I'm thinking, I'm now getting hit. And I stopped him with the next round because I was embarrassed. But I think I'm now getting hit on fight night against lads that, if I was Canelo, I'm, at, I'm down. So I mean, like, and I thought, I can't just get through fights. So it took me that fight. And then that was in the summer. Then I went to go in, um, I went to go see my family and they live on the beach in Lowestoft. And I took my nephews down to the seafront and they were on the sand. I said to him, and they were like, it's eight now, so it would have been three. Three, they're both three. And then they're on the sea, on the, on the sand. And I was talking to my nieces and my mum went, they're too close to the water. And I was like, oh, those boys, come back, come back. And then they didn't hear me because it was windy. I've had to run. I've had to run to catch up to, to my nephew so I didn't get like, swept away by the water. And the pain was so bad that like they're running this, like they're like they're out running me, three year olds. And I had to kind of really yeah. shout to put where I scared them for them to stop. And then they started crying because I was shouting so loud. But the pain was so bad I couldn't even catch up my three year old nephews on sand. You know, and that was that I thought oh, I'm gonna get my kiddies done now. And unfortunately I was out for a year. My first fight back, boom. I dislocated my shoulder, fight the whole fight with one arm, put my shoulder back in the socket in round two, using my knee, wiggle it back in the socket. I was out for 10 months. I came back, three fights, three knockouts. I'm fine to my groove again. I do my eye, never box again. So proper, yeah. proper rubbish, really. Yeah. Um, and you just mentioned about your eye as well. And you, was that your last fight that that happened? Yes. And so did you, had you had any pain in that eye beforehand or was it literally? Yeah, well, again, went... it's, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a pain thing. It was, it wasn't, a, if it was a pain thing, I can, I can deal with pain. Yeah. Pain's not a thing. It was the fact that I can't see out the eye and I'm getting hit with shots I can't see. Um, yeah, I had, I had some issues in my eye before, before that fight and I went to Moorfields, the best hospital in the world for eyes, got some assessments done and they advised me to carry on boxing because in their own words, your eyes aren't going to get any worse. So I, actually, I had a fracture in my eye socket. I can't talk too much, so I'll get in trouble, as I said. But I had a fracture in my eye socket, and they told me that a fracture, it's an old fracture. I get, I get any bone and bone, like bone teal. So it's not going to get any worse because it's an old fracture. I went, um, oh, fantastic. I had a bit of issues at that point then, but I could get by. Like I was sparring people like John Ryder, who went on to fight for the world title, really good boxer. Yeah. I was handling him easy in sparring. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't. It was. I was able to get. I was able to get something. No. I was able to. Um, I was able to get by. You know, to to to, to a top level. Like it was only an issue if I looked in a particular direction. But I could box without doing that. It was only an issue then when I got really low and rolled and went low and looked up really high. So when I looked up really high, I got a bit of double vision. But if I stayed like that, it'd have been fine. And then um, and they said to me, it's not going to get any worse. It's a fracture. It's an old fracture. And the fracture's healed now. And that wasn't an odd fracture. It was a brand new fracture. The doctor had read something, misread something off the scan, thinking that something was there two years ago. Because as a boxer, you get a, head, a brain scan done every, every year to make sure your brain's okay. And a doctor had seen something from an earlier brain scan, which is an MRI scan, which don't show fractures very well. 
CT scan, CAT scan, they show fractures. If somebody's seen an MRI scan, thought there was a fracture there, likened it to the fracture I had at this point, said, oh, I must have been there for two years. Because it's been there for two years, it's now healed, won't get any worse. Uh, carry on boxing. And as a boxer, I got the authority by a top consultant, carry on boxing. So I'm not going to go, somebody like me with my mentality, I'm not going to go, um, no, you know, if I'm giving you okay, you're not going to get any worse. Your eye is no more likely to fracture again than the other one or anybody's eye. Their bone is healed. When bones heal, it's healed. It's perfect. So I boxed. After the fight, I had eight fractures in my eye socket. My eye socket went, exploded. Um, the eye was damaged because the eye socket protects the eyeball and all the stuff around it. And because it was shattered, wasn't protecting it. So my eyes getting whacked and my eyes getting damaged and more, more damaged and more damaged. And um, and yeah, and it wasn't an old fit. It was a brand new fracture. I never should have been in anywhere near a boxing ring at that, that, that time. And um, and yeah, and I was fucked. And I could never, I could never get back. So. Do, do you remember what round that happened? Because yeah, so it wasn't even a punch either. Well, so it was, and the thing is, like looking back now, it was getting worse in my sparring. So I got my test done like three, three, four weeks before the fight. Something wasn't quite right, and I didn't, and I wanted to know what. Like, I didn't know what, what it was. So some of it, if you want to look at when I rolled and looked up high. And when I was told that it was not going to get any worse, I thought, carry on training. Trained for three weeks. I was found Danny Dignam. I was found John Ryder. And looking back now, the vision was actually getting worse over the course of the weeks. But when you're boxing and you've got a fight, you don't, you don't, think, you don't think, like, Olympics, my bad rib. I wasn't thinking, oh, my rib's so sore. I was like, what, fucking, I've got a fight, any pain, you just deal with it, you know? And I wasn't aware it was getting better. I probably was really, but I was so focused on the fight. So I wasn't aware it was getting worse. I was so focused on the fight, I was just thinking about the fight. And it was getting worse in those three weeks before my fight. And in round one, we come together. We come, we come together and he kind of, because we're Southpaw and Orthodox, and we've kind of tripped on each other's leg, which happens all the time against those guys. And kind of forearmed me in the eye. And the forearm did it. And I've, I've looked away. And I was just going, what the fuck? I couldn't see any. I, well, in my left eye, was, I, was, I saw a man and he was twisted. Like he was, like, rather than being upright, so I had double vision. My right eye was okay. Well, I could see fine. I could see him. But the left eye, he was twisted, like a 45 degree angle, and up in the air. And he's like, I'm, I'm getting punched by a man who's, and his eyes work together. The good eye, I couldn't even just do box with one eye because the good eye was actually down here. So eyes work, if one eye is up, if one eye goes up, the brain computer otherwise go down. It's weird. It's, it's all backwards. It doesn't make sense, really. But uh, so I never knew that because I was, I was just about to ask as well if you maybe tried to because you looked like you were you were trying to figure it out in there, and I weren't sure if you were trying to cover the eye with your well, guard. Just, but yeah, obviously, you I was, can't. I was trying, yeah, because the thing has to think like, like someone, uh, you know, you've got two eyes for a reason. Like one, one's, one's buggy, you've got the other one. But I didn't. I did, but I didn't. The right eye in my head, he was down. He was in the floor. He was like his eyes were like if if one eye is held on a boy wall, if one eye is um I fractured my eye socket, the floor of my eye socket, the orbital floor. So I was dropped. So when your eye is dropped and project if your eye is lower, your brain reverses it, it projects an image which is higher. So if your eyes my eyes like, like headlights in a car, for example, if one headlight is down and I was up, the light is obviously gonna go down. But the way your brain sees it, it's coming up. So, to the right eye, 
because they weren't working together, the white eye was going up. So really, I'm boxing a man who's below me. So I'm looking straight and nobody's there. He's in the floor. I'm getting hit by a man who's in... With, with one eye, I'm getting hit by a man who's in the floor. With two eyes, I'm getting hit by a man who's in the floor. But the other one's up here, like really up high, and he's twisted. So it's just... Uh, he said, you saw me work. I, I couldn't work it out. And I remember two things from that fight. Two things. So... And I was covering my eye because I didn't know I was getting hit until I was getting hit. I couldn't see. So I'm boxing. I'm getting hit by an invisible man, essentially. So I was covering it, and my arm was really, really tense. So two things I remember. I could hear him breathing. I could hear him. So he must be near me. So I threw a big punch. I thought I was going like, to KO him, and I missed by six feet. He was, he was way away. I did like, almost did like a full pirouette. Another bit in the fight, I remember. So I was covering my eye because I didn't know when I was getting hit until I was getting hit. Arm is so stiff and tense, the loads of lactic acid in my arm. So I backed away and backed away and backed away because I had no idea where he was in, in space. There was two of them, one up here, one on here. And when you when eyes don't work together, you lose depth perception. That's so I thought in my head I'm thinking he's six feet away. He's much but I can't hear him, can't hear him breathing, he's far away. So I backed up and backed backed up. I shook my arms down to relax my arms, and he's gone whack straight down the pipe. Because in reality, I thought he was over there, but really, he was right in front of me. And as a yeah, mate, nightmare, absolute nightmare. But um, yeah, something I wouldn't like. I love, I love, I've, I've fought my entire life. I love fighting. I love boxing. From twelve years old when I walked in, I love every aspect about it. I love the fighting, I love hitting people. I, I don't mind getting here back. I like doing it. Um, and on, in, you know, in, in big fights, I love the, the show business. I love the cams. I love the lights. I love the ring girls. I love everything. I love the roar of the crowd. Everything about it. And that night was the worst night of my life. I hated everything about it because I was getting hit by a man who's trained to fight. He's bloody good. And I didn't know when I was getting hit until I was getting hit. And in reality, like, if anything's okay, I'd knock him out in three rounds. I'd be I'd been well better guys than him, and I should have won the WC international belt. Then I, then I would have went on, and then I would have fought Canelo within a year for the world middleweight title, minimum purse five million dollars, minimum purse. And what me and Schaefer spoke about um, four years before would have come to fruition within a year, but unfortunately it didn't, and I went really wrong. And um, no. Yeah, shit, mate. I don't know. It's just it's tough to talk about because it's still so real, and it's my life. Do you know what I mean? It's just hard. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's no time, really, is it? As well, it's still going to be raw, and you put mm. you dedicated your life to it. And um, I do want to talk about what you're dedicating your life to now. But just to finish off on um, sort of the retirement and stuff, you mentioned money there, but did you suffer financially because you were yeah, up to the what you were projected to do? You had it you know, laid out, but I'm sure at that point when that happened, um, to all the, all them operations and things like that as well. May I, um, I spent a hundred thousand pounds, uh, on operations. I had four operations. I had nine operations. Um, uh, one, the first one, he was private. I, I had private health insurance. Uh, and then I had so many operations. It went so much money. I, had, I, I couldn't afford it anymore. So the other, so I had nine, one. So I, the other four here were all NHS. I had four in America. The operations alone, just operations alone, came to 100 grand. So every penny I'd ever, and I was always very sensible. I never, I don't buy myself that sort of thing. I was always of the mindset that 
when I become a world champ, now I can treat myself. Now I, I, I've earned it. Didn't go on flashy holidays. Didn't have a flashy car. Oh, I, had a, I had a nice car, but it wasn't a flashy car. Um, you know, and then, so I saved my money quite, like, quite good. And then um, this, so I spent 100 grand on just operations. That's not um, flying over to America just in the consultations. That's not taking the decision, all the other things that kind of comes into it. And uh, and if someone says you're 100 grand high, you must have loads in the bank. That was everything I ever earned in boxing. I think I earned all my sponsorship deals and stuff I had. I lived on that. I had my pay my house, pay my mortgage, um, pay, uh, you know, council tax bills, food and stuff. My boxing money, that's my hard-earned money. That's my money. I was, I'm going to buy myself an Aston Martin with that. I'm going to buy myself a big house with that, my hard-earned money. Like, sponsorship money, like, can't easy companies to go because although you get it because what you do in the ring it's like i don't know you could yeah. pay like three grand to go to a, a sign in it's like that's easy it's enjoyable it's not really work it's enjoyable so i live on that but my boxing is my money put that in a little pot um and then i spend that was all gone and then i i had an operation i had to spend um all that money on operations and then i ran out of money didn't have all that money i had to I then, for one operation, I had a Range Rover. That's one thing I bought myself, which was like smart. Like, I've earned that. I came back from one of my surgeries and I worked so hard to get back. Like, you wouldn't believe. And my wife, my wife was like, you work so hard, just treat yourself. Because at the time I was, had a piece of shit car. I can't think it was, it was a rubbish car. Yeah. Like, um, something just, yeah. She went, treat yourself, you deserve it. You know, you work so hard, like you deserve it more than anybody I know. I thought, yeah, I do. It's gonna have a Range Rover, and then I had that for eighteen months, and then I had to sell that because I had to some money for surgeries. Then I had to remortgage our house. I took fifty grand out of the house. I need need the fifty grand for an operation. Um, that didn't even work, all because I got misdiagnosed at the beginning, and and that, it's a nightmare, uh, proper nightmare. But do you know what I mean? Although I don't think about the money because. I get pissed off if I do, but yeah. um, in in reality, I had to do it because I could. I like great thing. What I'm most proud of about the whole eye stuff for me is I mentioned earlier. I train every day with Barry O'Connell in, in Hammersmith State of Mind Fitness. Um, I, I, my diet was bang on point. I could have easily been like, I don't know, when I'm going to fight again. I'm going to eat loads of food or smoke weed or do drugs. I didn't do any nothing like that. I was so professional. And like, I was just, I could never fight again because if I could have fought again, I would have found it. And there's a little story yeah. that of, um, this is my, this is my dedication. So I need, so there's this, there's this procedure on your eye called the Harado Ito procedure. And it's uh, named after Japanese, like um, ophthalmologist, eye doctor. And I thought that I might need that because again, as a boxer, you've got no medical team, you've got no doctor, you've got to do it all yourself. And I was researching this surgery and like, I just couldn't sleep at night because I was so like, just on it. I was so just like, just, just on it. That I um, started reading, started reading like, uh, like journals or like medical journals in Japanese because they didn't do the surgery over here in the Western world. It's, 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 a, it's a Far East thing. They do a lot in J uh, Japan and Korea. And it's such a Japanese thing that I was able, I learned Japanese to a degree, 
just by, just by reading so many reports. I'd go on the report, I'd, I'd copy and paste it, Google Translate, and read the thing, right? And I could look at, uh, back in 2017, I could look at a, a title of a paper and know what it meant, if it was for me. So I had a, so I, the superior oblique muscle in my eye was damaged and irreparably damaged. Couldn't do anything about it. And I, I needed a surgery to, to kind of counteract what that was doing. So I could read a paper and go, well, that's the inferior oblique, that's the wrong paper. That's the, that's the superior rectus, the wrong paper, different muscles in your eye. So I could look at a paper and go, yeah, that's the one. And then I'd copy and paste it. So I'd, I was able to... That's I was insane. That's, yeah, fucking nuts. But... Um, can't even question ask me. Sorry, mate. I've gone off on a tangent. <laughs> no, no worries. Um, yeah, that, that's insane, though, to think that, you know, like he was even looking at Japanese um, papers and stuff. You obviously, you can take a lot of a lot from the fact that you did everything you could in your power. Um, yeah. Can't you? That By the sounds of it, with seven operations. Was it seven or, or nine? Nine. Nine, nine operations yeah, yeah. as well. Um, yeah, that's nuts. Was it hard to separate yourself from obviously all this time you've been a boxer and you know like the an elite and everyone would recognize you for that was it hard to rid of that identity or you know because that's your life isn't it did you sort of um slope into a depression and things like that yeah so 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 i struggled man it's really difficult we'll do this again and i'll go more into that when when my documentary comes out i don't want to start saying things about the documentary because it's like Watch, want to get documentary made about it then. Um, but yeah, struggle, man, really hard, really hard, like really hard. Like, because I was worried about money, so I had to sell my car. I had no money, I was getting yeah. a bus. So I was, I'd have to get the bus to an appointment because I couldn't afford a car. And my wife, I couldn't use her car because she was at work. I worried about money, um, worried about so many things. Um, yeah, we struggled like mentally, in mean, a real, real difficult place. Like, and I think with other operations, other injuries in the eye injury, like. When I had my Achilles, I, I was I couldn't do anything for months because both my Achilles were operation on. So I took my mattress down, um, took my pillow and my so- and my duvet down to the sofa, and I was there for weeks. Watch telly, and then when you're watching telly, uh, watching like football, like you don't feel your Achilles pain because your your feet are up. Only notice it when you're walking around and going you know, go to the toilet, you're hobbling around and it's sore. When you're chilling watching football, you can't feel anything. Yeah. Same with your shoulder, you know. But when you see your eye, eyes, eye, like I was forever looking, every second you're awake, you're looking at your eyes. And when something's wrong with it, it's in your head all the time. You, there's, there's no switch off. Like my eyes were fucked and like my eyes weren't working together. Left eye was so bad. And I couldn't switch off from my eyes not being on. So I couldn't switch off from the, it wasn't even pain. It was just couldn't switch off from the injury. It was always there in the forefront of, my, forefront of my mind. And it was horrible. And I became obsessed. I, was, I had a really unhealthy obsession with, with my eyes and boxing. And it was horrible. I couldn't switch off from it. So, yeah, it kind of messed me up a little bit. Um, it, it, might be, it might sound like a bit of a shit question, but was there any sort of relief in a way? Not, obviously, it's not what you wanted, no. but you, you went through so much. Was there not a part of you to think, you know, I've done everything I can and now you need to, to move on? Like I say, it's not... A great question because it was never uh, what you wanted, but was there any no, relief? That's a good question. Uh, my agent, Duncan, who's one of my best mates, he said to me, like, do you feel relieved at all? Do you feel relieved at all? Oh, no. I just feel so much sad. I still, yeah. couldn't, get, I still couldn't get my head around it because I did everything right. I did a visualization. I did, like, I did everything. And I thought, 
to, to the point when I when I retired, I had seven operations. I had two more. I had I thought I had I retired now, and then I, I I did some more research. There's two more things I could work. I thought maybe no. So maybe my eyelid because I had an injection when I was went badly wrong and damaged my nerve, right, which you couldn't believe. And my eyelid was droopy on my eye, and my eye was too low still. And I thought I saw some had some appointments, some doctors, and thought. Maybe the pressure, just the sheer pressure of my droopy eyelid on my eye is pushing my eye down because the eyes weren't level. So maybe if I lift the eyelid up, maybe the weight help lift the eyeball up a little bit and help it see better and maybe get that singular vision that I'm so desperate for. Now, that was just a thing in my head. I thought, hey, what would that work? I saw some consultants, and they were like, sure, mate, am I? That's, that's, that's a good point. That's a really good point. Everything that I've gone through has never happened to anybody else in the world before. So there's no protocol. It's like, okay, so let's try this. So I had two further surgeries after I even retired to try to hope to get me back, hoping that now the pressure's off because so now's my retirement. It might now it might just work. And I genuinely still believed each one was gonna work and it and it didn't. So it was there was no relief whatsoever. It was just still shit and I still you know, look at boxing and think, how are you fighting? And this is this annoyed me. So going back to what you shouldn't do, you shouldn't compare like other people's. I watched a fight during like, not too long ago. I can't think it was. And they both beat the hell out of each other. And their eyes, their faces were a mess, like an absolute mess. Both swollen, you can barely see their eyes. And I thought, I guarantee, and it's true, I guarantee when their swelling goes down, their vision will be perfect and they'll get back to boxing. And both guys have boxed since. Whereas mine, I hurt my eye. Like one of the reasons why it was difficult to um, identify was because I didn't have a, I didn't have a black eye. There was nothing. Normally, when you fracture your eye socket, it's really bad. When I did mine before the fight, um, I didn't get a black eye. I didn't get nothing. Like nothing. I didn't. I got punched in the eye, and it's a bit like like that. But a lot of punches make your eye kind of go like that. It wasn't until six weeks later that my eye started changing. That's because this fracture opened up. And and um, and st- starting to heal, and the scar tissue got caught in it, and it was dragging my eye down. So it was just such a freak accident, a freak punch, and just frustrating the fact that I didn't get hit that much in my career prior to my last fight when I was incapacitated. I could probably count on two hands the times I got hit in in all my fights combined. In in, in eleven fights, I probably got hit, well, pro- proper hit. Maybe ten times, maybe less yeah. than that. I didn't get hit that much. All inspiring. Didn't get hit a lot. And, right, and then you get some guys box all the time, get their faces smashed in, and um, and then don't suffer fractured sockets. It's weird, but I guess that's just one of those things where like it was sound. It's, it's shit to say, and it's cheesy as anything. But I guess it just wasn't meant to be. It wasn't because <laughs> if it was meant to be, it would have been. No, and it wasn't meant to be. So I can take, I, I can take comfort from the fact that I tried everything, it wasn't meant to be. Yeah, it definitely sounds like you did as well. You used all that competitiveness to to put into, you know, try and save your career. But you're now in the um, AEW, which I wanted to talk about a little bit before we uh, before you go. Mm-hmm. Um, but how's that? How are you finding that? Because you're in the US now, aren't you? And yes, you- mate. Um, yeah, I kind of come back and forth. It's difficult during the pandemic because prior to the pandemic, I was just popping back and forwards a drop of a hat. 
It's not too far. It's like six hour flight, not too far. Um, now it's a bit. I am coming back and forward still. It's a bit difficult when I can't come back because of the pandemic. Um, I've got all kind of like quarantine and places and stuff. It's a bit more of a ball like, but um, let's just, it's going really well. It's it's been nice for me because when I retired, um, I'd been a boxer my entire life, and as I told you, on that plane, 15 years old, I knew. I always knew. I always knew that I was going to do something in the sport because I was good at sport. But on the plane back from the Junior Olympics, I thought this is it's going to be boxing. I know it's going to, I know it's going to be boxing, and I will have this career because most people that are good and work hard achieve all the things they want. You know, you rarely hear, see people. Like, it's very uncommon for any athlete to retire so young. And it, it does happen. Of course, it happens. But most footballers, like you know have their full career. It's not like back in the 70s where a bad, a bad, no, a bad crucial injury, that's you done. It's, it's 21st century, so there's usually a, a, a surgery for each problem. So I thought I was going to have the career I was going to have, earn all the money in the world, tick every box, achieve all the dreams I've ever had, wasn't meant to be. And I thought, what else do I like? So I've so, been so absorbed by boxing. What else do I like? And genuinely, hand on my heart, I've always been a massive fan of wrestling. And I thought that was just, I don't know. I've never thought I was going to do it. It just, I've always just really enjoyed it. And then, um, and it was the only thing it was for me when I was talking boxing, it was one of two things. It was either wrestling or politics because always been really keen on on politics. Um, And I thought, okay, I didn't expect that to go from, um, you know, sport and then into <laughs> politics then. I was thinking uh, wrestling or... But you, it, what, what's funny is that all these things are like some of the hardest things you could go for. Like to go from boxing, you think, okay, there's no harder sport. And then it pops up, Anthony Agogo's like yeah. doing wrestling. Right. I'm like, flipping you know out, that's probably the only sport where it's harder. Do you know, yeah, do you know what? I wouldn't, I wouldn't know if it's harder or not, but it's, 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 it's definitely as hard. Like, and it's, it's, so, it's so hard. Like, it's, I've chosen the two most demanding, physically demanding, st- like, careers. It's so hard. Like, people think, oh, that's not just that, the other, mate. Oh, like, so physically, from a physical standpoint, get, I'm, I'm, I'm 100 kilos, I'm 16 years stone, right? I'm pretty small in wrestling. They're all huge. They're all massive. We've got a guy here, Lance Archer, six foot nine, a monster, an absolute monster. We've got a guy called Miro, he's been in WWE. A freak, man. I'll chat to him this morning. And like he could bench press me fifty times, no, pro- no problem. Not even, he's huge. So, so getting thrown around by those big guys hurt. Getting clotheslines, like, you, like wrestling is wrestling is so real. Getting clotheslined by a big shot. So, rip you against the ropes. You hit the ropes hard because you're getting thrown off by somebody. You've got no choice but to go hard. The ropes are cable to the point where I trained. It's now we're filming this now on a on a Monday. Monday today. Um, yeah. Yeah. Monday? Tuesday. Yeah, I think it's Monday. <laughs> we're, we're both Tuesday. Uh, we're both Tuesday, uh, I'm still on Monday. So on Saturday, I trained on Saturday and I was running the ropes, hitting the ropes. You now you run back, like you know, the rock to the people's elbow. Yeah, you, my favourite <laughs> Yeah, you hit the ropes, right? It's hitting the ropes. So maybe you hit the ropes, warm up 20 times, right? Bloody hell. I've got a welt on my right hip because... Because the, the ropes are the ropes are cable, it's still cable. They're not ropes, it's still cable. They're just with, with rubber, not rubber, like plastic around them. 
and you run the cable and they're really taut because the, the tighter the ropes are more springy again, more cool things you can do off the ropes and you know, 20 times, my back is killing me. And that's hitting the ropes. And then you hit the rope, you go throw into the ropes, big strong guy, boom, clothesline. Which a clothesline, a big chunky muscly arm hitting <laughs> yeah. you around the around the chest neck area, boom. So the ropes hurt, the line hurts, you hit the floor, boom, that hurts. You've got to tuck your chin, otherwise you can cuss yourself right here on the floor. Everything hurts. And that's a simple move. A clothesline is the most that's the first line move you learn. Mate. And then yeah, on top of that, so now on top of that, you've I've been away I've been away from my home, England, for a long time. I live in Atlanta while I'm here. I've been away from there for ten days. I've got another six days left. Always on the road, always in hotel rooms, always and that's just difficult because, you know, whether you're at home or in your own like my home away from home, you can have a bath, you can have a shower, yeah. you can clean your teeth, you can have a shave, you can do simple things. But when you're always on the road, you know, you can go to, to the gym and train. You've got to find a gym. I've now got to do a thing with Team GB tomorrow. So it's now it's now half past one. And I've got to get an Uber. I've got no car. To find a sports shop. To buy an Adidas t-shirt. Just to, and it's like, it's small things. Yeah, it's just a ball yeah. leg. And I've got to train. I've got to, so it's, 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 in the ring, it's hard. Um, it's, it's, it's a difficult lifestyle to have. Um, but on the flip side, like boxing is very, very hard. It's very rewarding as well. And that's why people do it. Yeah, because like you say there, with moving around, that wrestling is all about that as well, isn't it? With the tours that they do and things like that. And as you say, I think watching it, because I used to like it when I was a bit younger, and then now my mate's mad on it, and he, he tells me about mm -hmm. it. And I was like, I didn't realise how many injuries and how intense it is, because it really yeah. is, isn't it? Like yeah. the, You look at Mick Foley and, and Jericho and people like that, they've you know had some, some mm -hmm. bad injuries. Yeah. Um, but how, how so, do you cope with that? Like, have you got a few sort of regimes that you do to sort of uh, prevent injuries and stuff or so essentially that's the main reason why you get big in wrestling yes to look good on camera because it's nice to look good when you're when you're in your pants when you're in your little 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 tight trunks it's nice to look good because you're on tv for the whole world to see but the main reason in honesty is when you get thrown around you need muscle to absorb the impact you need it hurts you need muscle to like the muscle the more muscle you are like you've got your bones and you've got your organs and stuff. Like if you've got a nice big strong back, you get slammed to the floor, that's going to hurt a little bit less than if you've got no back and you're landing right on your ribs. You know, so the stronger you are, the more. So that's, but ultimately, what I was going to say about wrestling is now take me out of the equation. So I was very unlucky with injuries, but in boxing. But most boxers, you're going to get the same injuries. You're going to probably break your hand, a black eye, maybe a broken nose. Maybe a dodgy shoulder if you throw a punch and miss. That's pretty much it. If you're really unlucky, you might break your jaw, but that's pretty much it. Like you know what you're gonna get. In wrestling, bloody hell, anything can happen. Yeah. Anything. Like you can break anything. You can something as simple as breaking your finger. Something as bad as breaking your back and being paralyzed. Something again, getting punched in the face and breaking your cheek, your face bone. There's this thing where you do where you you sleep or a drop down. Send them off. Drop down on the floor. Then they go over you, then you just, you leapfrog them. So it's called a sleep drop down. And when you drop down, you have your hands flat, not like that, because you want to do that to jump up quicker. But you have your hands flat. So if you do that, and then one of you, and they kick your elbow, that's a broken wrist, and a dislocated elbow. So when you run the ropes, like I mentioned earlier, you've got to grab the top rope with your right hand. 
because they say at some point in your career, and I've seen this happen once already, I've been doing it for a few months, at some point in your, in your career, a rope is going to snap or it's not going to be um, connected properly and it's going to fall through. If you're not hold, if you hold on to it, if it falls through, you hold on to the rope. You're not going to like, no die. If you don't hold on to it and that goes, you're going to just, the ring is, the ring is about five feet. The bottom of the ring, the bottom of the ring comes about my chest. It's quite high. Then you've got, I mean, if you're six foot, you're 11 foot in the air. If the top rope goes and you fall, you fall from 11 feet down onto your head and you kill yourself. So everything in wrestling is like, do this, do this, do this. If not, you will be paralyzed. You know? No. So there's, there's, just, there's a lot of danger. Whereas in boxing, the danger is you, you know what you're going to get into. In wrestling, anything can go wrong, unfortunately. So, um, yeah, I, I so, was yeah. completely unaware of it until I started um, speaking to my friend and reading some of the books about uh, some of the injuries that have happened. Um, obviously, like we just we've talked about the similarities with the training and how hard the sport is. Also, like the the marketing in a way is similar, isn't it? And you, you've been brilliant at that all the way through boxing with the stuff you've done with Big Brother and um, Strictly Come Dancing, and you, you just got yourself out there and you you seem to enjoy it. Um, are you enjoying that bit of wrestling there? Like with the yeah. crowd and the buzz. Yeah, I never got to enjoy because my boxing career, um, I wouldn't have done, I've done a few things differently. Um, I was like, I am more of a personality than I showed in my boxing career. Now, I couldn't be, I was, I'm not, I'm not outlandish. I'm not um, a thug. I'm not going to go and say like wild things, but I am more just personable than what I showed. For example, I was signed by Nike and Subway and Maxi Muscle in my boxing career. And because I was injured quite a lot, unfortunately, I wasn't getting paid through boxing because I was injured. I was only getting, I was getting paid for my, my, my partners from Nike and stuff. They were paying my mortgage. They were, they were, that's, I couldn't live without them. So um, I couldn't really afford to go out and, and be too controversial because I needed them to live. And there people like Conor McGregor, perfect example. He was so good in the ring, so uh, in the cage, so good fighting that he doesn't need sponsorship deals. He can just and he, he can just do and be and say what he wants because he's he's doing it in the ring. I was not always injured. I wasn't able to do that, so I had to kind of like um, appease my partners by being like a nice guy. And I am a nice guy, but I'd had more fun with like my fight. I didn't want to go out and call someone a dirty little prick if I'm going <laughs> to fight him because. Nike's not going to like that, no. Whereas if I was doing it in the ring, knocking guys out, no, you've got more. You, you can say what you want because you're doing it in the ring. You know, I know it's never really there because I was always so injured. Whereas like the, the whole showman's, I'm more of a showman than I showed in my boxing career. Yeah. And hopefully, I'm not. I will. I'm sure I'll be able to kind of get that side out of me and invest more because it is more. Uh, it's half sport, half entertainment, in my opinion. So I'm able to kind of like, yeah, showcase my those abilities more than yeah. I was able to in, in boxing. So, and had I had the career I, I should have had, then I would have been a bit more flamboyant because I am that way uh, naturally. I wouldn't have been so, I wouldn't have been such a, a corporate kind of guy, you know. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't have been so like, you know. Well, I think uh, it, it it was obvious that you're a personality in the sport and even in the the, the pro sport as well. For whilst you was fighting and the things that you did. What's the goal now then? Look, obviously you've got the AEW and 
Um, I didn't know until recently that you could have trialed for WWE as well. So is is now your aim to stay with AEW because they're yes. growing quick, aren't they? And yeah. So I I thought of this analogy. I'm trying to think of an analogy to um, I try and to, to to summarize for British people what AEW is or what we are. Because someone said to me, "Oh, do you hope to do all there and go to WWE?" Like, no, like I went, like I, I'm like they were great with me. WWE, they threw me out. I had a tryout. They paid for me to go to Orlando. Had a tryout. Really enjoyed it. They offered me a contract. AEW also did, and I chose AEW because I spoke to Cody Rhodes, who's like one of the top guys. And Tony Khan, who's the owner, he also owns Fulham. He owns the Jacksonville Jaguars over here. He's a top, top bloke. A real nice guy. I spoke to them. I saw their vision. I fell in love with the vision. WWE, I didn't. Love the vision. I didn't, you know, whatever. So I am AEW. I'm here. I want to give my professional career to AEW as long as I'm a wrestler for. I want to do it here with them. And what AEW is, are you a darts fan? Do you like darts? Not really, no. Are you, I can I but, play. I'm rubbish, right? But that's about yeah. it. <laughs> but the general, so basically, history of darts. When you think of darts, I presume you think of Phil the Power Taylor yeah. and Sky. Christmas time, New Year's Day, the World Championships. Yes, that's us. Yeah. So back in the day, Dart was like, and obviously, and you've heard, that's, so that's the PDC. And I've heard of the BDO, the BDO Darts. Yeah, so I've heard BDO, of it. that's, they're on BBC in January. And like, if you watch PDC Darts and Sky, everyone's there dressed up, having a great time, having a, a brilliant night out. That's PDC. Phil the Power Taylor, you know, all, all that lot. So back in the day, the BDO was the only darts organization in the world, and they were and they were great. And then, well, they weren't so great. People started leaving there because they were so stuck in their ways and they were so like archaic. And a little group of guys left the BDO and went, "Let's come and join us. Let's do our new darts organization, the PDC, the Professional Darts Corporation." I think it's called. And they got on Sky. And they've grown and grown and grown. And, and now they're huge. Like they're way bigger and better than the BDO. Because when you think of Dutch, you think of Phil Power Taylor, Ray, Raymond Van Barneveld, all those guys, because you know, that is what Dutch is. So I think we're quite similar, really. AEW, WWE, they've been around for 50, 60, 70 years. And they're really established and a really big organization. We're a brand new organization. We've been around for one year. We've got Cody Rhodes. We've got Chris Jericho. You've got Kenya Omega, the young box. You've got some big, big stars. Um, loads of young, upcoming guys. So in 10 years' time, hopefully, people will say, MJF, one of the guys, oh, best dressed in the world. Jungle Boy, Anthony Agogo. Like, in 10 years' time, will be PDC, hopefully as big, if not bigger, than, than this lot. So we're a brand new organization. We're on ITV4 in the UK on a Friday night. I think it's the ITV one on a Tuesday night, like a, like a highlight show. And yeah, we're doing really well. Um, everyone's great. And I'll take, we're not in com competition with these guys. These guys are doing their thing, been there for a long time. I'm sure they'll be around for a long time yet to come. But we're just focusing on what we're doing. And we had a pay-per-view on Saturday night called Full Gear. And it was by far the best pay-per-view of the year across the whole world in wrestling. It, it was great. So... Yeah, so my, uh, my goal here now is to stay here for say, five, ten years. However long I want to be a wrestler for, wrestler for AEW, um, give it my all, hopefully become a big star, like, and, and hopefully like, like, like emulate the rock. And after wrestling, when I'm, when I'm done, say 30, 
late thirties, early forties. After that, I'd have been a professional athlete for almost twenty-five years, and the box for eighteen years. Done this for five, ten years. That's yeah, twenty odd years. I'd have been an athlete, getting my head punched in, or body beaten up. At that point, I'll do a new career. And I think I want to have I want to have three careers in my life. The boxing career has been that's gone as done. It's been amazing, giving me a great opportunity. I want this. I've still got some things athletically that I want to achieve and take off that I didn't do in boxing, and that's what this will give me. And then after that, when my body starts creaking a bit more than it does now, I want to do another career, be it politics, be it film and TV, um, be it TV presenting. I'm not quite sure what that one is yet, but um, they're my, that's my long-term goal. That's awesome. And like you say, um, the ruck sort of paved the way as well, showing what opportunities are there. And um, uh, like I said earlier in the podcast, I followed your career. And then when I saw you say that you were taking up wrestling, I just thought it's brilliant because I know it's just nice to see. It's nice to see you overcome that and you've got your new, your, your new sort of uh, goal as well. Um, Thank you. Well, before finishing off, just one last thing I wanted to ask you is what advice you'd give people to sort of overcome these things? I saw you put something on your Twitter, I think it was, just giving a bit of advice about getting outdoors and sort of for your mental state. And I think that's, you're a good person for that because how you have overcome a lot of these challenges and what you're doing there. What advice would you give? Yeah, I think a couple, well, I'll I'll give two bits of advice, right? Um, I'll answer your question first. In that tweet, somebody asked me that they think they're struggling at the moment and what advice can I give? And I said, I was very lucky. I've got an amazing wife. She's, she's a beautiful girl. But she loves me and supports me. Um, and so be around positive people. She, she, if I sulk and whinge, she'll kick my ass. Yeah. Enough of that. You've sulked for too long. And she's dead right. So being around, I've got an amazing family. A mom loves me and sisters are fantastic, like, gorgeous little nephews and nieces. So be around positive people. There's nothing worse than being a rain cloud, you know, and that's just, it's not cool. So be around nice people to help, positive people to help you kind of out of that slump. Yeah, exercise, get outside, outdoors, train. Um, I was depressed when I was tired from boxing, so I took up essentially weightlifting. I wanted to do something um, positive, and I thought, I want to see if I can get to 100 kilos. I was about 92 at the time. And I trained hard and I ate well and I, and, and I started seeing gains. It's always nice when you achieve something. You feel good. You get a little, little shot of dopamine, of course, for your body. So yeah. set goals, little goals, small goals, set goals and achieve them. You feel good. So it makes sense to what feels good, do more of it. You know, I, I make a list of things to do today. And I was, so two times today in this podcast, my, my, my alarm has gone off because I've, I said, bizarre, ring this person email that person, do this, do that. And I make a list each day. And I've done it already. And when I did it, I was like, oh, I've done that. And I feel good. That's yeah. a little, little shot of dopamine. So it could be running the marathon once a year. It could be sending an email to somebody. But a little goal, when you accomplish it, you feel good about yourself. Um, that's my first thing. My second thing, what I always, and it's not really, it's the main bit of advice I'd give people throughout my career. And um, I mentioned it earlier, like, you know, tongue in cheek. But my pro boxing career, the best night was night one, my debut. And that should never be the case. It should be a good night, debut, but you should go on and win British and, and European and Commonwealth and world titles. I thought that was going to be the best night of my career. And it wasn't. And a little story around that, that debut, I fought three weeks later in, in America. And I 
my debut, my team organised like a like a night out. We went to this bar. They hired this kind of like area of the, the, the club, and I didn't want to go because I was so focused on boxing. I wanted to go and box back to the hotel, go to bed, wake up and train. Well, I didn't want to go out and celebrate and drink. I didn't want to. And my wife was like, "You can't not. You've got hundreds of people who come from lower stuff to come and support you. A four-hour bus journey. Have a drink with them. You haven't got a drink, but just be out with them." And I didn't want to. And we had an argument about it. We had a we, we had a little bit of a, a bit of a row. And in the end, I went begrudgingly. Didn't want to be there. Had a face like a slapped ass. And it was just rubbish. I didn't want to be there, right? And I I said to her, I said, "When I'm world champ, when I win something, that's when I'll celebrate." But right now, I want to think. I want to I want to go back to bed. Um, anyway, so I went there, showed my face, shook hands, and I went back to bed and, and went to bed. Now, we, had, we had a good night, but it wasn't the night it should have been. So I was so focused on the next thing. I never won the title as a pro. And I went, it all ended. A few, and one punch ended. And I thought, you know, I should have enjoyed that moment more. Even though at the time I, was only, I thought it was only going to be a small moment, I should have enjoyed it more. Because you never know when it can be over. Whether you're a footballer, one tackle, you're done. You never play again. A boxer, one punch. So just the point I'm making is like enjoy the moments along the way, even the bad moments, even the shit, even the shit runs you've got to go through. Don't want to go one, the hard one. Enjoy it because one day it may get taken away from you. Hopefully it won't, but it might do, like me. And I wish I just, and I guess it's the analogy I give is like people that climb Mount Everest, um, they get to the top and the view is rubbish. I've never done it, but from what I, people I've spoken to have done it, the view's rubbish. In the clouds, you can't see anything, and it's rubbish. People are so focused on climbing Mount Everest, and they get there, and they go, oh, is this it? When really, the guys that get the best experience from Mount Everest, they climb a bit, they stop, they look around, they take it in, they absorb it, they breathe it in, then they go again. And they do that like four or five times periodically along the thingy, and then they get to the top. They go, oh, I've done it now. Views are rubbish up here, but at least I've got all those great yeah. memories on the way up. So you want to enjoy the climb as much as getting to the top of the mountain, you know, and, and I wish uh, I'd have done that more. And I guess it's only until you haven't done it, they can really say, so please just enjoy the big moments and the small moments as much as they are, because one day it might all get taken away from you. Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry. Yeah. And I think we could all learn from that as well. Like you talked about sport or like Mount Everest, but yeah, that really does transfer into everything. And mm, yeah. I, I love that. Yeah, definitely. Because we do often, you know, you don't enjoy the journey or the present moment. But um, yeah, thanks for coming on, Anthony. This has been uh, awesome. I messaged you the other day. You got straight back to me, and you're uh, and you're here. I've really enjoyed it. So, cheers, mate. Thanks a lot for this. Cheers, cheers mate. And I wish you all the very best with your podcast, mate. No doubt, in a few years' time, this will be the next Joe Rogan. So yeah, yeah. Remember definitely. me, mate, when you're all big time. Okay? <laughs> and same to you. <laughs> cheers, mate. Thanks, Anthony. Yeah.